the point of my account and all that I do is you're not being told all of your options and you're making choices out of fear and, you know, people are giving you scare tactics to coerce you and force you into things that you don't want. And then you have all this regret or it affects your future pregnancies or your family size. And if you had known differently that there were more options available to you or that someone who is trying to kind of trick you into something is lying, then you may have made a different choice. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey, y'all. I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor, and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife Rx. My mission is to keep birth choices available and educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy Now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. It's so nice to to meet you, even if it's on Zoom. I feel like I've gotten to know you by stalking your social media for several (laughs) years now. (laughs) All right, same. (laughs) Well, Sarah, do do you, how do you like to be introduced? How do you like to be called? Do you like Dr. Sarah? I do because I spend a lot of money and time to earn that title. (laughs) That's what I thought might be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) Well, for our listeners that don't readily know who you are and what you do, will you tell us uh, the organization that you run and where you are in the world and what you do? Sure. So I'm Dr. Sarah. I'm a chiropractor, birth educator, mom of three. And I run Birth Uprising on Instagram. My website is the same. It's all all Birth Uprising. And what I do basically is it's it's ever evolving depending on what, what people need and where I can best help. So I'm slowly figuring it out. But the reason I started Birth Uprising was I had a really bad birth experience with my first And then with my second, I decided to free birth and it was like my whole world was blown open. Like what, what was that? It was really hard, but it was also just a complete contrast from what I experienced in the hospital. And it made me wonder how many other women were experiencing something like that. So I actually started with a Facebook group and it just was people I knew essentially. So it ended up being about... 600 people I think at the it still exists but I don't I don't do anything with it but it was people I knew and then people they invited and essentially people just started spilling out their stories and it was way worse than I thought and then I started doing polls and just asking questions about people's experiences and I was like wow this is really really much worse than I could have imagined and I I need to do something but what can I do and so I wanted to be able to reach more people. So I started my Instagram account and just had no idea what I was doing. I sort of still don't, (laughs) but social media keeps changing the rules. That's part of Uh, it. Yes. Yes. And it's so unfair. It's so unfair. But, But I like being on there and connecting with other people like yourself and, you know, all over the world. I'm in Massachusetts in the United States. So I'm on the East Coast. And I've met so many nice people all over the U.S., all over the world that, you know, I would have never met otherwise, that I have lots in common with, um, some that I've worked together with on things, uh, you know, birth-related or like natural health-related to share information with women and families so that they can make better choices. And that that honestly is the, the point of my account and all that I do is you're not being told all of your options 
and you're making choices out of fear and you know people are giving you scare tactics to coerce you and force you into things that you don't want and then you have all this regret or it affects your future pregnancies or your family size and if you had known differently that there were more options available to you or that someone who is trying to kind of trick you into something is lying then you may have made a different choice so I really try to get people to think a little bit more deeply about what's being told to them and to think about think critically about you know all kinds of things but when it comes to pregnancy and birth and postpartum that doesn't really make sense what you're being told or do you think that someone's just uh doing what's best for them and making it most convenient for them and a lot of times sadly that's the case so that's what I'm trying to do is to to get people to think a little bit more for themselves and not just kind of submit once they get pregnant because so many women think that they're you know they're a boss babe and they're you know they can do it all and and they don't they don't take crap from anybody and then they get pregnant and they're like yes yes I'll do whatever you say because they just have been so scared into thinking that they have no control and therefore this outside person in this white coat must know everything and so I have to, I I want my baby to be healthy I, you know what kind of a mother would I be if I didn't listen and it's I mean you know none of that is true <laughs> so I'm I just really want people to to know that they they are the ultimate authority they can choose what's right and what's wrong for them they can decline things or do alternatives or you know, just entirely stay home with just their husband, if that's the best thing for them. There's all these options out there and they don't have to do what everybody else does or what somebody in a white coat says, because it's easiest to put you on that conveyor belt of what everybody gets. You know, you're not a number and your every pregnancy is different. Every person's different and you deserve to have the care that's right for you. And that's, it's hard to do when your appointments are only seven minutes which is what they usually are. If, if you're seeing it, it's shocking. <clears throat> shocking, isn't it? It's what, like Crazy. what passes for healthcare is, is really shocking. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I love that you're doing this. I know that you're impacting lives. Some of your graphics are going viral, which means lots of okay. people are seeing them, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, I want to, because most of our audience our providers. So I would love to kind of tease apart some of the truths that you just named and, um, and speak to that audience specifically. Um, unfortunately, doctors don't have uh, a monopoly on coercion and mistruths and um, following the party line or blaming it on policy or things like that. You know, the, the, the physicians are not the only ones doing that. There are nurses and there are midwives and there are even doulas in the space who are not, not really centering the birthing person who are not, who are robbing sovereignty are not giving true informed decision-making. I'm wondering, um, what, <laughs> it's hard to say, like, <laughs> how, um, how, how can we reach those folks? How can we wake them up? How can we address those folks who, who are not centering the birthing person during their experience? I think that's really hard. And I, I don't know that it's something any of us can do. It seems mm -hmm. to me that the people who practice that way, and then end up changing their ways it's because of something they learned on their own something they saw something they read something a friend said to them or own personal experience that made them wake up and be like wait a minute you know maybe all babies don't have to be born by c-section if they're breech what do you mean there are midwives doing that you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe maybe we don't have to be doing things the way that we're doing them i think that's another good point is that the only way you can't change the system right so if we're talking about the hospital system it's too big it's too much of a money maker it's, it's too broken it's too yeah or or not broken depending on how you look at it right it works it's them. working perfectly for how it was designed to <laughs> right. work right? Yeah, right yeah 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 and so you can't 
you can't change something that big. And so what can you change is the people who decide to utilize that system, you can change them. You can help them to learn more to say, I'm not going to take this crap from you. If I decide to utilize the system, this is the respect I deserve. This is These are the options I deserve. And I know that because somebody else told me that. So if they decide to utilize that system, they're less likely to become a victim of any of these things. Or maybe they decide, you know what, this system isn't for me at all. Maybe I don't want to be here. I'd rather be at a birth center or at home because I know what happens or I've had a previous experience and I'm just, you know what, I'm not giving you my money because yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. It's all, it's all about money <clears throat> in the long run. And you want to pay for things that you believe in and you trust. And if you're putting your money towards, you know, like my C-section, how much did that cost? Like $50,000. It was, I mean, right. I didn't pay the whole thing, but like, like so insane how much, how much money is spent in hospitals. that's completely unnecessary. And, you know, you're deciding to, to go there. If that's, if that's what you're choosing, they, they get that money and then you're gone and that's that's it you know they might see you again yeah. six weeks later one time one of the things that I think might actually help now that I'm thinking about this and I don't know how this would be implemented is there's zero feedback so you have your birth experience like if I think back to my first birth experience I had a c-section I didn't need I left the hospital no one knew that I, I mean I didn't know exactly how I felt at the time hundred percent anyway it took a while but I left and no one knows that anything is wrong and you know I don't have any physical issues and six weeks comes by and I go back for my appointment and I did probably what most women do and you know you tell them what they want to hear you fill out the paperwork how you know they want it filled out because you don't want them thinking you're not a good parent you're not capable of taking care of your kid, that you're having issues, you want them to think you can handle it. And that's what I did. And plus, what would they have even done anyway, given me medication? I mean, on there's, there's a big misstep there. So there's the one visit at six weeks, and then nothing. And I think if there were a better way for them to gain feedback, not six weeks later, like six months, a year later, when women finally realize like, what happened to me was really terrible. <laughs> I've had the time to process it and like come down from the the hormones now. And, and I realized what happened to me was not okay. If there were some way to give that feedback, I wonder if it would change minds. Like, I think a lot of these providers don't realize what they're doing to women because they don't, no one's telling them. They don't if get they, any of the feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no one's telling them. And then- I think a lot of the women don't even realize that they have trauma unless somebody else were to be like, are you sure that was okay? And a lot of them will go back to those same people to have future babies. And so they, it's almost like domestic violence in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. And until yeah. you step out of it and you're like, wait a minute, that really was not okay. And now I've, I've built up the courage to take the next step to do something different. You know, not everybody gets there. There are so many women that attack me on the internet because I say something that triggers them and I automatically know that they've they've been harmed and they have trauma that they just haven't yeah. they haven't dealt with yet. And it's not their fault, somebody else's fault. And but they're dealing with the pain of it and thinking that someone's shaming them and that's mm -hmm. not true. Um so yeah, I guess if there were a way for them to get feedback, I wonder if if they were getting all the negative feedback that I hear all the time, <laughs> I wonder if yeah. eventually they'd be like, you know, maybe we're doing something right. Yeah. Well, again, I, th I think it's the whole system. I think individuals are who can hear feedback, not systems. And so I do encourage moms to write uh, letters, not necessarily to their physician, but to the hospital administrators. Um, mm -hmm. because then that goes through the legal department, um, and then action happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it's quite a lot of labor for a newly postpartum mother yeah. to like do that. The, the listening to mothers surveys that have happened around the country, um, both nationally and in specific States, um, 
uh, Dr. Eugene, or I don't know if he's doctor, I'm pretty sure he is, master's in public health, Eugene DeClerc. He's there at Boston University. Do you know Eugene DeClerc? No, I don't think I've heard of him. He, he, he's, he was, we featured an interview with him a couple episodes ago, and he's um, the director of Boston University Public Health, and he's super pro midwife, and he's done these um, these interviews with, um, you know, mothers after birth and and that is starting to prove out some of this australia has also taken the lead in trying to describe what obstetric violence is and what postpartum depression is and how those two are related um what do you think um we should be doing more of i guess both like in the very personal but also on the global scale listening to mothers obviously mm. well that i think it's it's hard for them too though because they don't know you know they well they don't know but also the, the way that our culture is at least in the u.s is you don't talk about that like yeah. uh, i don't know about you but every time i see I, i'm on facebook just as like a a gawker sort of i don't <laughs> i yeah. don't really i don't really interact with anybody people will say yeah. happy birthday to me and i'm like don't, <laughs> don't bother i'm not yeah. i'm not really yeah here. not on here no i go for like marketplace to see if i can buy used things but yeah. once in a while i'm on there and i'll see someone had a baby like you'll see their last bump photo and then yeah. the next picture you see they're wrapped in a hospital blanket in a plastic you know container yeah. with that with the hat on and i'm like but what happened in between <laughs> i yeah. want to know what there was a lot that just that just went down and i want to know what happened in between and people women if you ask them most of the time they want to spill their guts about because it's a it's this huge until you've been through it you can't understand it's such a huge crazy thing to go through and the fact that people aren't just talking about it all the time is insane to me, which is why I like, you know, inserted myself into a group of people who talk about it all the time. Yeah. Which which makes it mm. a little easier. But women, most, most of the time, they want to tell their stories, but I think they feel like they're not supposed to. Like, what happened to them? You know, it's in the past. Healthy mom, healthy baby. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. If everyone's alive, then yeah. the story's over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And- and it goes back to some of our more systemic uh, problems in the world of American, led by American obstetrics, is this idea of like mother as as container, as vessel, mm-hmm. and uh, centering the baby's life over the mother's life, which has obviously taken root in the U.S. Um, and and really invalidates their experience, which, as you said, is completely life changing. Um, mm-hmm. Aside from the very physical reality of of another human passing through your vagina, <laughs> so <laughs> nuts, <laughs> or the sunroof, you know, whichever yeah. way you do it, there's also the like whole psychological, emotional reality of like accepting another unknown person into your family, mm-hmm. and then the changing relationships that happen as a result of a new person being in your family. And then you have to make milk. I mean, it's like, it's so much, right? (laughs) It's a ton. It's a ton of things that you just. It's a ton of things. And most people do want to talk about it. Yeah. They do. But they, again, there's the stages of storytelling, which I find is really fascinating. Um, Pam England has been one of the first ones to kind of uh, pioneer explaining the stages of storytelling. But the first stage that we go through is this, 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 this story gate, as she calls it, that is relief and gratitude. So even if you didn't have the birth that you wanted, even if you just got like so traumatized, you barely are verbal, the relief of not being in it anymore is enough to say, thank you, doctor. Thank you so much for helping me. And at that point of still being, you know, just newly postpartum, you, like you said, you can't tease apart what was caused and what was, you know, nature and what was just happening and, you know, all the layers. And so you are just like, thank God that's over. Thank you. Anyone who helped me, that was <laughs> yes. horrible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go through many other stages and I do recommend um, all of her books, but um, I'm really uh, a fan of the, the labyrinth one that's recently out. <laughs> then you go through, um, several other stories, but one that you go through is what she calls the medical story gate, where you are recounting what medically happened to you. 
Um, and you haven't integrated the emotional life experience that happened at the at yet. And so I find that because our culture is so medically focused, um, you could like I, I do quite a lot of story listening too, and birth story listening too. And you you get someone who's telling their story and they're saying, so I was dilated to four centimeters and then they broke my water and then they started Pitocin and then eventually there was distress and I had to have a cesarean. And like, they're just recounting the medical process, not being like, I was scared for my baby's life. I was forced into making a decision. Like that, that's a really different story. And they, with help, oftentimes people don't move beyond the medical gate because they can't they can't, there's no space for them to be held in that. There's nobody saying, tell me how you felt. What happened to you? What did you need to have happening? What do you wish was happening? Um, nobody's giving them the space to explore that. And I, I think it's tremendous that, that you as an advocate, as a mother yourself are, are creating that space. But I'm still curious, like, how do we get this to people? Like, how do we how do we, <laughs> just it's impossible. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, that's kind of the, that's kind of the conclusion that I've come to is, you know, people have said to me, which I, I respond kind of, you know, I'm not, not rude, <clears throat> but they've said, well, if you want to change the system so bad, why don't you get inside of it? And I'm like, that's cute. Like, <laughs> that, that's how you think it changes. You think me going back to school to be a midwife or a medical doctor, which is something that I don't want to do, to go inside of a system that's way bigger than me and then try to keep my job, but also stop all the bad stuff that's happening is that's going to work. And that's at one place. There's like yeah, thousands and thousands and thousands of hospitals just in the US. Like, yeah, that's not how but it's going to change. Speaking of change, here's, here's a massive change that happened in only four and a half years that I am obsessed with. I think about it all the time. <laughs> so in the in the uh, early 2000s, um, the March of Dimes did a study that showed this drastically poor outcomes for what they called late preterm. So the babies who were born between 35 and 39 weeks did so much poorer than babies that were born between 39 and 41. And so they put out this public message to the medical circles and they said, stop inducing women before 39 weeks because your NICUs are filling up and everybody loses, right? Everybody loses. The number one killers and hospital reasons for admission for newborns are low birth weight and prematurity. So if you're inducing people before their term, when their babies are small, duh, like this does not work, <laughs> right. right? And in the span of four and a half years, I don't know if you remember this, but it used to be that you could get an induction anytime. Mm -hmm. If your doctor was going out of town, if your husband was traveling for work, if you just were sick of being pregnant, you could be like, I'm done. They don't do that weekers. now? <laughs> no, no, they really don't. They cut, they catch flack. Now they can invent a medical reason and get behind mm -hmm. it. But, but there is like, if you go to your doctor at 37 weeks and say, induce me, I'm tired of being pregnant. They will say, no, you have to wait till you're 39 weeks because it's just not being done. And it was only four and a half years. It changed the entire nation, except for maybe Alabama changed immediately overnight. <laughs> and, um, I, I've been studying this because there we saw an international organization with clout and they had the, they had the ear of Jayco, you know, the, the organization that oversees hospitals, they had the ear of Jayco and they just like put this policy out. Like you are endangering lives if you do this and the whole sweeping changes happened. And so I think, how can we get the March of Dimes behind <laughs> midwifery care or informed decision-making or anti-racist practices or like all the things like, how can we get some big organization to take up this cause? It, you know, like this, mm -hmm. something's got to change. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's a very important, the Momnibus um, legislation in front of Congress um, to try to address the maternal health crisis. I believe change is coming from lots of places, but like to have sweeping, immediate, quick change 
It's got to be outside the system. It's got to be above the system. So like mm-hmm. who's above the system? No, that's what I'm mm-hmm. asking. It's not me. <laughs> it's not me either, girlfriend. It's not, yeah, it's not me. It's so, too bad. Yeah, but somehow, somehow. I know. It's well, it's it's hard <clears throat> to not to not know what to do and it sucks. But because yeah. it's just there are so many big problems and even if things, you know, even if there is legislation that goes through that help some people the main issue is there's a lot of profit in a lot of the a lot of profit and convenience and a lot of the things that are done to women while they're pregnant and they're not gonna stop doing those things because then they don't make that money and unless there's some kind of incentive for it to be otherwise it's going to be really hard to change that and plus the the culture is such that that's what we trust. Like my first pregnancy, you know, I, I, I'm a chiropractor. So I obviously think a little bit differently and use more natural holistic methods before Western medicine if possible. And I went to my first OB visit and I, they were like, all right, we'll see you in four weeks. And I was like, four weeks, four, you just trusted me by myself for four weeks. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> nobody's nobody's watching me like you don't have to check in you know I just I assumed like someone someone was gonna be you know watching unsupervised right pregnant I'm trusted (laughs) you're trusting me for four whole weeks yeah and I think I just had this idea in my head that there would be like the management makes it safer and that's not true at all but I think that's the perception too so unless women's minds change as well when they go into these appointments say wait a minute like you're doing an eight-week ultrasound but why (laughs) like do I do I really need this well um I I think it's it's tremendous work that you're doing and I just want to say I'm so excited that there are advocates like you in the space I'm sure that you connect with the other advocates that are out there VBAC facts, you know, Jen at VBAC facts and mm-hmm. birth monopoly. And, you know, like, I'm sure that you're seeing the, the other major advocates out there. Um, and you guys are making difference. I mean, there are people all the time that like get to see what you're advocating. It changes their mind. It opens their perspective. They see it a little bit differently because of what you're doing. And some of your some of your memes and your, your different, they're just great. They're, they're highly shareable. If you guys haven't yet go follow birth uprising, because there are some great reshareables there for your clients. Um, and it's so important. What I'm really focused on, um, in my work counseling and midwifing midwives is helping them to, um, cultivate some really foundational, uh, aspects of providing care. Um, and one, before you're even in the care environment is boundaries so that you know really what's appropriate for you and what's not. Um, Another one is true informed decision-making that always has the option for informed refusal and alternatives, like you said. And then another one that I'm talking a lot about is defensive charting. And I kind of have a flagship course on defensive charting. And when midwives hear about that, they're always like, oh, that sounds horrible. Like, I don't want to be defensive. Like, I want to be with my clients. And I love that. I do too. But I think um, I think defensive can be really positive. And I, I, try this on for size. See what you think. Obviously, the midwives need to defend themselves because we're in an incredibly litigious world. And midwives are technically outside the system, even those that work in the system are a little bit outside the system and um, they need to be defendable because we, we can't lose any more midwives or the whole thing's going to go away. Right. Yeah. So one, one part of it is like being defensive for themselves, but the other part is, is how I frame it to them is that they're actually testifying to defend the client's choice. And this changes the whole paradigm. When you have a system set up so that you are there to center their decision-making and then defend their decision-making in your charting, it changes the whole dynamic. And um, it, and, it, and it supports informed decision-making that like, this is the information. 
This is what some people do. This is what I've done before. This is what's standard in your community. What would you like to do? Like, that's how true informed decision-making should be. Um, and when you practice defensive charting, what you practice is learning how to record their decision so that it's theirs. Um, and that defends you. It like, it, it, this, this system works. So anyway, I talk about that a lot and that is helping more midwives become less afraid of being in the space they're in. And that's the part that the segue that I wanted to come to next is I think, unfortunately, a whole lot of very well-meaning providers are simply afraid. A lot of what they're saying and what they're doing or what they're not doing is because of their fear. Oh, yeah. And, and they're not entirely wrong because obstetrics is the most sued profession of all medicine, right? So like, I, I get where it's coming from. It's just, the results are so terrible for so many people. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I feel <laughs> like, I feel like it's, well, it's true. It's the, they're the most sued. They have the highest cost of malpractice insurance. It's insane. But why? And I think part of it is when you have a relationship with somebody, like this is a, it's a huge transition. And yes, yeah, some things could go wrong. But when you have seven minute appointments with someone, you cannot get to know them. And when you, when someone doesn't feel like you're invested in them and you trust them and you're working with them, they're more likely to see you as the cause of their problem and to then sue you for what happened, even if it wasn't necessarily your fault. And I feel like it's completely different with midwives generally because you spend 45 minutes to an hour at every appointment getting to know the person, <clears throat> you know, making sure that you understand their preferences and what they like and don't like and just learning about their families and things that are completely outside of what they're there for, but you're getting to know them as a person and they're getting to know you and yeah. you, you trust one another. And when you care yeah. about and trust someone, you're a lot less likely to take them to court. <laughs> you know, for something that happened because it's totally true, unless it's, it's totally really true. very obviously their fault. But and I, I think a lot of the things that they do are the things that cause the problems as well. They, you know, they, yeah. they intervene in places that they shouldn't be. They try to control in places that they shouldn't. And the doing is causing problems that end up with them in court over something. And yeah. maybe if they just did less, like, you know, like midwives do, sit with the woman, understand what she wants and doesn't want, worry a little bit less about litigation, policies, which I get. Like, I was talking about this with somebody the other day about how it is really hard to not, not think about your license. Like, we were, I was doing a live with someone who is a registered nurse, but she's not practicing currently, but she still has her license. I'm a chiropractor. I'm not practicing currently, but I still have my license. We both want to keep those up because if we ever decided to use them again in any capacity, you know, we spent a lot of time and money, like I said at the beginning, to learn what we've learned and to be able to use these roles. And sadly, when you have a kind of professional license, whether it's chiropractor, nurse, midwife, whatever it is, you agree with the state to have a certain scope of practice and only be able to do certain things and not to go outside of that. And so we were talking about how we're careful about what we say on Instagram because I'm not giving anybody advice. Nobody's my patient. I am asking you questions so that you can think a little bit more deeply about things. And I'm not telling you what to do about anything because it's it's not my place. It's not in my scope of practice. And I don't want to. <laughs> You're not my patient. But I think they're very worried, just like, you know, she and I were a little bit worried ab ab about that in general. It's understandable to, to be nervous and then to want to control that situation. And that doesn't go well, but they just don't, that's how they're taught, is that if I control this, it will be okay. It'll look like- <laughs> and, and, and when you're thinking about like an, a, like an appendix, like that makes sense. Like all of surgery is actually about hyper control. 
Um, the problem here is that surgeons really don't belong attending normal births. And so then that goes back to our for-profit medical system that's set up. Mm-hmm. We're trying to create more midwives too, to create more opportunities. But yeah, the fear, the fear of losing your license um, is big and the, and the fear of conformity is big and the, and the, the being willing to be courageous. You know, there are so few doctors who are bucking the system and, mm-hmm. and being courageous, you know, Eden Fromberg is comes to mind and, and uh, Emilio Chavaras in California and obviously Stu Fishpine. And like, there, there are a few doctors out there who are like really breaking the mold and being like, no, we're here for our patients, not the insurance company. Mm-hmm. We're here for our patients, not the hospital. Like the, what they need is where I am at. How, how can we like raise that alarm? Like, how can we get more focus. I mean, gosh, it's just like, we keep asking the same question. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just, it well, because it's all, it's all, they're all important questions. I think it's just the hard part. It is, I think, like you said, I think it's one by one and that yeah. will take an eternity because you have yeah. to, all of these people, especially the ones that work in hospitals, whether they're OBs, nurses, nurse midwives, whatever they were taught in this medicalized system. And a lot of them have never seen that there's yeah, another exposure way is a huge part. That's yeah. why, that's why what you're doing is so important is the exposure is such an important part. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why of course, uh, badass mother Bertha has grown so fast, right? Flora mm-hmm. Cruz is because she's, she's giving exposure to things that both birthing folks and physicians and nurses have literally never seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, and I'm glad that there are large platforms like hers that loads of people are seeing. Because yeah. even if it's the first time you've seen a physiological birth, birth or, or something, birth, yeah, breach yeah. Birth, whatever it is, you see it and then, you know, it may be shocking at first, but then you stay with her account and you keep seeing it over and over. And eventually it's not a big deal. It's like yeah. bre- breastfeeding in public. The first time that you breastfeed in public, you're like, oh my God, everyone's looking at my boobs. And then the 300th time you do it, you're like, I don't care. <laughs> You know, but it's like getting used to And then it the third kid, story. you're like, what, my boobs out? When right. did that happen? Oh yeah, that's out all the time. <laughs> Been out for yeah. hours. Yeah. 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 I think it's it's exposure to these things. And it's just it's hard because they also have to want it. They have yeah. to want to absorb the information. They have to want to recognize that there might be a better way. And yeah. that's hard for a lot of people who don't like being told that they're wrong. Uh, yeah. you know, like your whole, your whole career, maybe you've been harming women and you just don't know to like wrap that into your brain is like, it's, it's probably a lot. Yeah. They're, you know, it's not just they're compliant in and complacent and what that, what they do to women in the hospital system. But at the same time, you know, they, like you said before, they're, they're people too, and they have their own set of things that they're thinking about, their own traumas that they bring, their own history that they bring, what they're worried about, that all plays into their decision-making with each birth. I know it's so complicated. That's why I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna, (laughs) I'm gonna focus on what I can do, which is, yeah, because otherwise my brain will just explode. I know, it's so multifaceted. (laughs) I can't help everyone. And that's, that's hard to grasp that I can't, I'm not going to make a difference for everyone, but there are people that I will help. And what I decided to do, and I'm very slowly doing, because I do have three tiny kids who are all boys and are insane. <laughs> they're, I love them, but they're so exhausting. You know, they're just yeah, like yeah, yeah. all yeah, over yeah, the place. Yeah. So I have very little time, but for multiple years now, I've been writing a book, which is hopefully will become like a series. It's a workbook where it teaches you all about your prenatal care so you go into your first visit and you already know what to expect you know what they're going to ask you about that day you've you've asked yourself questions about whether these things are right for you or like why would they give it this day and what happens if I don't do it or what are the alternatives and you've thought about every single thing before you show up cool so you're prepared because they don't tell you any of this, you show up and they're like, today you're drinking the glucose drink. And you're like, the what now? <laughs> and so you haven't had time to say, 
I do or do not want it. I don't know what's in it. I don't know what the alternatives are. Why are we even doing this? Why are you concerned about this for me? Is this a problem for everyone? What happens if I do have diabetes? Like, there's all these questions that should be asked prior to that, but you can't get to that in seven minutes. So it's yeah. like a, a supplement of all the time that someone should be spending with you. I love it. And that way you I can, love it. you can answer the questions for yourself so that everybody's answers will be different, you know? So it's not like this is right for everybody because nothing is right for everybody. And that way, you know, for, sh for you in this situation, maybe this test is right, but this one is not, or this alternative is, or, you know, you feel Beautiful. more confident in your choices and someday <laughs> I will get it out there. And we believe in you. We it's believe gonna, in you. It's gonna happen. It's like two thirds done. But once I get it out there, I think it'll be really helpful because then people will have sort of a guide, no matter what kind yeah. of care they choose. It also goes yeah. into the different types of care because I think people right. don't know right. about like what is a midwife like in a hospital system versus at home. What right. are the differences? What's it like with a home birth midwife who has a license versus versus one who does not? Yeah. You know, what are your choices and what to expect in each scenario? So that's and what I think better I can do. Than what to expect when you're expecting, which is the most oh garbage book ever created. <laughs> Why is that still out there? <laughs> Somebody's making money because it it toes the party line. It's, no. it's telling you how to get your epidural and then, you know, all the things. Well, um, I love that you're doing this. What an exciting project. We would love yes. to support and repost retweet whatever that's exciting when you get ready to launch let us know we'll cheer for you thank you um and it is really about this exposure and education um and i i think that's another big part i'm going to sort of switch gears now into the business part because you have built um you know a large online following um and folks who are really paying attention to your words and what you're saying. And then that gives you influence in uh, a way that you just don't have uh, otherwise. And so I talk to midwives all the time about really growing their social media following, growing their newsletter, their list, getting people to be able to have access um, to them and to their knowledge, which then gets them more clients and makes them subject matter experts in their communities. Can you tell me, like, if you were talking to the midwives of the world, like, how how would they go about building a following like you have? So I would say the number one thing that helped me is that I treated social media like I treated growing our real brick and mortar business, which was, you know, we opened up our practice in 2011 and we had no idea how, mm -hmm. how do you grow a practice? Like, you can't just open up and people are going to be knocking down your door. So how, how do we do that? And so what we did was we involved ourselves in the community a lot. We volunteered, uh, we would go to road races and we would stretch people afterwards for free. We uh, went to every party that was held in the town for like charity events and um, got to know the other business owners. And so we really just, we gave a lot without expecting an even return because it doesn't come then it comes later. And right. so that's essentially what I did was I started befriending people and resharing their stuff and having actual, you know, maybe not like this, not what we're actually talking, but like, you know, typing messages back and forth conversations where we were getting to know each other. And eventually someone would see something of mine who had a larger following and they'd share it or share multiple things. And then more people would see, and then they would follow. And then little bits here and there, you know, it's, it's not everything that goes viral. Um, it's, it's once in a while. It's something that like I post at the right time because I, I have all these good ideas that I post. And I'm like, why did no one see this? It's, it's kind of infuriating, but if people see it and they like it and they it resonates with them and then they share it and then their friends share it. And then, you know, then people come yeah. and they're like, who is this person who's not afraid to say what she thinks? And, <laughs> and then they find Dr. Sarah. <laughs> and here I am. You're yeah, not going to yeah. get, yeah, you're not going to get anything but the truth from me. So, but I, I, think, I, I think people like that. So that's the number one thing I did was actually care about these other people. And yeah. I have made some good connections with 
other people who are really my friends and we sort of share back and forth or yeah you know discuss things in the behind the scenes because once you start having a larger following too and tons of people are sending you messages and yeah. people want you to share their products and stuff like that it's um yeah which which I won't do unless I use and like and have shared for a long time and it's like relevant to my account but but still who do you talk to about these things it's yeah. good to it's good to have somebody else who's in that sort of space as well so just treating it like it was real real yeah. life and and making yeah. connections in that way because there are a lot of other people probably in the similar position who are like how how <laughs> yeah. how do how do i do this and then yeah. also having some things that i didn't do this until later but having some things that are free like little things like yeah pdfs about you know dif different information that you share that you can have people opt in and mm -hmm. become a part of your email list. And so mm -hmm. if if then you share, you know, whatever it is you're up to, they'll directly get that as opposed to yeah. Instagram, for example, which is so insane. One day, tons of people see your stuff. And then another day, it's crickets and there's like no rhyme or reason. So you're like, None. it's good I know. to we have just, that list. We just posted a video of a chameleon giving birth. They got a million and a half views. And I'm like, seriously? <laughs> The fucking chameleon. <laughs> Seriously. It's the chameleon. <laughs> God. I think it's honestly, I think it's the Adele song playing in the background. But anyway. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I have no you idea. Never know. <laughs> I know. But you know, we have extraordinary other messages that are like three posts, three, three likes. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I love this advice, and it, it's exactly in line with the business advice I give midwives is um, treat it like it's another job. Treat it like it's really important. Treat it like everyone that is commenting, messaging, or somewhere in your space, both locally and nationally. Treat them like they're already friends. Send them messages, drop into their DMs, send them a voice recording, invite them to come like your stuff, share their stuff, communicate, mm -hmm. be friends with them. Mm -hmm. like as if you were neighborhood businesses and, and it changes. And if you're trying to grow a local following, then you do the same thing. You find all the local chiropractors and all the local lactation consultants and all the acupuncturists who see pregnant moms trying to induce them. And you like invite them out to lunch and you send, you send them data. And then pretty soon you build this really robust referral base, mm -hmm. all that are connected uh, socially because everyone's online now. And mm -hmm. it makes such a difference. And it can really, when you grow your following, then more people can see you. And even though it feels like you're busy running a brick and mortar business, it can be so important to have a busy social media as well, mm -hmm. because that's where people are. You know, mm -hmm. that's our digital town square is, mm -hmm. is there. So I, I love I what you're doing. Love it's your advice. True. Well, and you have to be, you have to be consistent. You can't just like yeah. pop on there once a month. You do have to yeah. have something good to offer that people want to come to your page for and yep. that they're willing to share. Because if you don't have good information or like, a funny chameleon giving birth video. I mean, why would yep. anyone be there? So you have you have yeah. to have something that they like. Yeah. And you have to be consistent because otherwise no one sees your stuff if you just yep. aren't there. And then yeah, re reply to every message. I, I still do. And yep. sometimes like me too. The amount of time I spend is like I know. <laughs> me too. It's not okay. But I <laughs> but I do it anyway because I feel like I get messages, especially from pregnant women who are writing to me and need help. And I'm mm -hmm. like, like, I'm, I'm not your provider, but I can tell you if it were me, this is what I would do, or this is what I would look into. And I, like, I can't look at that message and not help you knowing that literally no one else is going to literally, you know, no it's, one it's else, yeah. literally no one else. It's me or it's this lady on the internet that you don't know or no one. So yeah. Yeah. Unless they found a midwife, it's very unlikely yeah. that they're going to get explained anything. Oh yeah. yeah, no. And it, most of them are not, they're like in the position where, like I was talking to someone the other day, they were telling, I think it was a doula. The doula was messaging me about her client who was being told that her fluid levels were too low. And then if they didn't go up, she was going to be induced. And I was like, well, how did they know about this? And she said, she had an ultrasound. And I said, why? So I'm like asking all these questions. And she was like, man, you're so right. This is a scam. But if I hadn't said, if I hadn't said like, why are, 
why did they even do an ultrasound? And she said, oh, well, they had to check the baby's position. And I'm like, they probably didn't. They probably wanted to find a reason why they could put her on the schedule. <laughs> you know, like it might seem that way. And now they're not telling her how to raise her fluid levels. Instead, they're just like telling her if she doesn't, they're going to induce her. And and what is the number two? Like, that's what I've been shocked at. Um, you know, the, the varying definitions of what constitutes low AFI is also fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like in some places it's five and in some places it's eight. And I, I recently said someone mm -hmm. say like with a 10, like I have low fluid. I was like, you don't have low fluid. Anyway, yeah. Well, so it's, it's like it's so inaccurate. Yeah. Oh, and then there's the whole function of it for sure. Right. To sum up, I think we both feel like exposure. So midwives, work on your social media game. Get your content out there, even if it's just you holding the camera up and talking about your day of seeing clinic, or about what that last um, you know client really needed from you, or giving your gestational diabetes spiel about when they, when they can test or when they can refuse it, like just put more information out there. And there is a ton of birth videos and pictures, which are beautiful and amazing. And exposure is very important, but I think people are hungry for content that is not just, um, just image. I think they want to hear from you. I think midwives talking and saying, mm -hmm. This was, this was my experience of the last perinatal task force meeting I attended, or these are the local childbirth educators that I love to recommend, or this is why I would test for GBS. Like that really specialized midwifery language that they can't get anywhere else could be the difference. Like someone could forward that onto their friend that's at that stage of pregnancy and they could call you and switch care. Mm-hmm. Like it can really happen like that. So get your social media dialed in, share, 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 share. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I really love one of the other messages you gave us tonight, which is um, I can't serve everyone. And mm -hmm. each of us midwives, we have to face the same thing. We, we can't help everyone. So get right. really clear on who you can help and do that really well. Mm -hmm. I yeah. I, that's a hard message. I think for a lot of people to hear, but once you realize that, you get better at That's helping right. the people who you are able to help. Like you just said, That's right. That's you, you, right. you're one person, you can't be everywhere. You can't be everything to everybody. And so doing that one thing really well will make you more useful than if you're spreading yourself so thin. So true. Well, you do that one thing very well. And thank you, Dr. Sarah, so much <laughs> for joining us and sharing your wisdom and being that truth teller in the space. We oh. need you so much. Thank you. Thank you.